my name is Marlene Stein. I'm from Dayton, Ohio. And I'm here to talk to you about my perspective as a child of Holocaust survivors. Both of my parents are from Poland, and uh, they were both in various concentration camps during the war. Um, recently, I went on a trip to Eastern Europe. That probably is the best example of how that has affected me. I went with my parents. I went back to Poland. I went to Germany. And I went to a few other countries where there really are no Jewish people or very few Jewish people today. I found myself very angry when I went there. I don't consider it a part of my roots. And I think that made me really angry when I was there. I felt like it should have been, but it's not anymore. That was taken away from me. Um, it was strange, especially being there with my parents, because I know that in a lot of ways, they still truly wish it was their home. As much as they haven't identified with it for years, I know that they wish that they could. I guess I felt that way a little bit myself. I wish I could have felt that it was home, but I couldn't wait to leave, quite frankly. I felt all kinds of emotions, totally illogical, but nonetheless strong emotions against the Polish people that I met and I was very glad to get back home. Your first stop in Europe was? My first stop in Europe was West Germany. I'll never forget the feeling of driving into West Germany, having heard a million times from my mother when I was younger about the story about when she finally became free at the end of the war, being in a cattle car, hearing the bombing all around her, and all of a sudden the car was, was blown open and here I was right at that very spot. And all my life I've known, at least as long as I can remember, I've known that my mother is terrified of, of thunderstorms, that it scares her very, very much because she's reminded of that time in the pitch dark in a cattle car with all the people around her, hearing the bombs and wondering if one was going to hit them and kill them or if one would hit them and free them. And it's always been terrifying for her. And to this day, no matter where I am, no matter where I live, when a thunderstorm hits, it reminds me of my mom. And I think about her, and I wonder if she's OK at home, and I get a little homesick. It's like I want to take care of her in that sense. I, I remember that there was a woman sitting next to us on the plane on the way there, a German woman. Probably, I think, in fact, that she told us she was 70 years old, something like that. Very warm, very friendly, really didn't speak barely a word of English, but had been touring through America for a few months and, and does that sort of thing all the time. And um, had no idea, of course, who we were or why we were going there and, and spent the whole time conversing with my parents in German and you know, laughing and talking to me and trying to communicate with me. And I found that really ironic because I, I just wanted to take her and, and shake her and say, look, you're a wonderful, warm, woman, but where were you 40 years ago? Where were you? You know, what, what can you tell me about this? What were you doing? And it's funny because I've come to realize that even my own parents who have been through all of that don't seem to have that deep-rooted anger, that deep-rooted hostility as I do. 
it's almost as though they've resigned themselves to a lot of things about World War II and about all of their experiences that I don't think I ever will resign myself to. What about when you actually came back to Poland with your parents, which was the place of their birth and also of their hardship? That's where over and over again I couldn't help but feeling that something had been taken away from me. I went to a polka party and these girls were laughing and dancing and, and doing these things and I'd look across the room and I'd see my mother enjoying it and, and singing along and knowing the words half the time and, or I'd see her communicating with the help at the hotels. I would have never believed in my lifetime that she could walk in the door and know Polish so well having never wanted to identify with it for all these years and rarely having spoken it. Yet, there she was doing that, and I resented that so much because that should have been where she was, and that should have been where my family was, and that should have been where I was. And yet now, I don't ever, ever want to see them again. I truly don't. I got it out of my system. I saw it. That's not where I'm from. Everywhere I went in Poland, the tour guides, everyone, still to this day, would talk about memorials for the Jewish people and memorials for the Polish people, as though the Jews weren't Poles. But nobody knew that then. I know that my mother didn't know she wasn't a Pole. As far as she was concerned, she was Polish. She had never been anywhere else in her entire life but Poland. No one in her family, no one for decades or, or centuries probably, had ever been anywhere but Poland. That's all she knew. And here they were telling her, you're not Polish, you're Jewish, it's separate. And the sick part is that I went there now and they were still saying the same thing. It was a little too convenient, to me at least, that we went to the place that my mother remembers where her home was. And we get there and the street name has changed. The address doesn't exist. Where her home was, there's this huge high rise now. Now I'll grant you, that a lot of things in Poland have grown, as everywhere else, in 40 years' time. But you look next door, and there was a house that was probably 60, 70 years old, an old dilapidated house. But Jews didn't live in that house, and it was still there. It was a little too clean, in my opinion. We went where my mother's sister used to live. Nothing there, no traces, no nothing. The school where they all had gone to school, no traces of it. Nothing at all, just too clean. So like I said, it was like stealing my roots out from under me. The absolute worst, though, the one thing that truly affected me when I went to my mother's hometown was the cemetery. I have always been told that there are no cemeteries left, that the Germans destroyed them, that they broke the tombstones, everything else. And I had resigned myself to that fact. It was a time period that happened. Whatever the explanations, whatever, I've come to accept that there are certain things that aren't there. I've come to accept not having any grandparents. I've come to accept not having any cemeteries to visit. All of those things. But what I never would have believed was this experience in my mother's hometown. I got there, and there was a cemetery. And we were truly, genuinely excited about that, because I've never had anywhere to go and put flowers, anyone to mourn for. Now, granted, the cemetery wasn't going to have any of my relatives that were killed, but at least the ones before that, at least all of my mother's, you know, relatives before her. What did it look like? 
When we first got there, I really didn't realize what was going on. We pulled up, and there was a, a gate with a little rusty old padlock on the door and a wall surrounding the thing. Now, I'll grant you I didn't expect it to be kept up the greatest, but I saw the padlock, and I figured, you know, whatever, it's locked up. And so did the cab driver that had taken us there. He made the mistake of going to one of the houses across the way and knocking at the door and asking the man if he had any idea how we could get a key to get into the cemetery. I would have never known it, and probably my mother wouldn't have heard it either, but this man began screaming something at this cab driver, and it got our attention, and my mother leaned her head out the window. And being able to understand Polish, she caught what he was saying as the cab driver walked away, waving him off to just be quiet. And he was basically, it was an 80-year-old man, something, you know, about 80 years old. And he was yelling at this cab driver, look, I'm not Jewish. The Jews didn't live around here. They lived in the city. I don't know why everybody keeps bothering me. Why don't you all just leave me alone? And I sat there, and again, I thought, it's not like things have changed. I bet you were saying that 40 years ago. Anyway, there we were, no key, no idea how to get one, looking at this rusty padlock. And I thought, I'm going to walk around and at least see if I can look over the wall. And I went around to the front of the cemetery, and there was no wall. Somebody had knocked the whole thing down anyway. So for all the good the rusty padlock did, you could see right into the cemetery. Of course, I also figured out right then that there was no way to go into the cemetery anymore, that it didn't make any difference. There was grass and weeds and mud and swamp so high that no one could possibly go in there. It was so obvious to me that no one had bothered, no one had had the courtesy or the regret or whatever to have touched that cemetery in 40-some years. There I was looking over a broken wall into the swamp that used to be something so very holy to my relatives. And it was completely overgrown. And the few tombstones that you could see were all crooked and they were sticking up from underneath all of the swamp. Or they were broken in half because someone had gone in there and broken them up. And I could see over to the side the old rusted out, broken up building that used to be evidently where the caretaker had stayed or at least kept his tools or something. And I was so angry at that point. That, I think, was the culmination of the whole trip for me. Because I looked at that, and all I could think was, why couldn't you fix this up? I understand the war is over. I can't do anything about that. That was a time period, and things were destroyed, and I've had to accept that. But this cemetery, you could have fixed this up after it was over. This is the only thing left for me. And no one has had the courtesy to do anything with it. They've just let it fall apart, and they don't care. They just don't seem to care. And no one has done anything. It just sits there, and it rots, as though there was nothing to respect there at all. Marlene, when you finally went to Auschwitz with your parents, what was that like? You know, it's funny, because when I thought about going to Auschwitz, all I thought in terms of was how it would affect my parents. I've always wanted to go. I felt very strongly about going sometime. It was something that I knew would never be a pleasure, but it was something I really felt I had to do. Uh, one of the many camps my mother was in was Auschwitz. 
so I was very much aware of its presence. Um, my mother has always wanted to go, and my father has always been adamantly opposed to it. And I can honestly say, I think I was the final driving force that got us there. And I knew it would be difficult for them. And I thought in terms of them. And I thought in terms of taking care of them when we were there. I made sure my mother took her Valium in the morning. What I didn't expect was how it affected me. I spent the entire time before we got there holding my mother's hand, explaining to her again and again that we were going to this place that was now a museum and that she should remember that it's now just a museum and be able to walk away and bury it as a museum rather than all of the bad memories that she had of it. I got there and immediately broke up myself. Completely, completely lost track of what my parents were doing. There I was, standing in front of something that I knew so much about, it was almost as if I had experienced it myself in some ways. And there I was at the only place that I could go to and mourn my relatives that I had never had. And there it all came back to me. It came back to me that I had been the only child that didn't have grandparents. It came back to me how my parents had always been very tense and I had always had to understand that. It came back, all the obligations in my life, and, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, I mean that in a truly positive sense, but the obligations to carry on the traditions and, and to do so many things it came back to me right there at that door, and I truly felt it. It all hit me right there more than ever before. After I got over that initial feeling, I was numb. I was truly numb. We were with a group of people that were going through, and there was a guide explaining to us various stories and things, and I was taking it in, and I think I probably took 200 pictures that day. And most of them are of my feet, I think. But I was just numb. I walked around knowing every story that she was going to tell, having books with most of the pictures that they had up on the walls in my home already. And yet I couldn't really comprehend the fact that there I was in real life in front of me. I went into this Nazi watchtower and I looked over Birkenau which is just one-third of what Auschwitz used to be. And I looked out the window, and I literally nearly passed out. Because with all the years of hearing about six million Jews and 12 million other people, and all the statistics and all the numbers and how big it was and how difficult it is to comprehend, I still never really could have believed how big it all was. And when I looked out, I couldn't see in any direction beyond it. Everywhere I looked, there were just rows and rows and rows of these wooden I mean, horse sheds that they had made into these barracks. And I sat there and I thought of the degradation of my own parents being a part of something like that. And I just couldn't believe it. I truly couldn't believe it. I had never comprehended it the way I did at that moment. 
I went and I saw the machinery that were the crematorium, which again, I had seen the black and white pictures of many times before. I had heard the stories many times before. But there I was, really standing in front of it. And I simply couldn't believe I was there. I couldn't believe that it truly existed in the sense that it did, that it was as modern as it was, that it was as efficient as it was, that it was as big as it was. And at that point, there wasn't any hatred at all. It was just pure helplessness and frustration and sadness, just sadness the whole time I was at Auschwitz. And eventually, the numbness wore off after being there for an hour or so. And there I was again, concerned with my parents and, and following my parents and seeing how they were and worrying about them. I mean, I, I just wanted to hold them together so much. Did you look at their faces and see the kind of emotion they were feeling as they walked through? I've never seen my father the way I saw him that day. And honestly, as glad as I am that he got that out of him, I don't ever want to see him like that again. So there's a weakness that comes through. And it's come through to me many times when I was younger and my parents would tell me stories about how things were. And I remember it from a discussion my father had one time specifically where he was talking about the last time he ever saw his mother. And I saw that emotion in his eyes, but never like I saw it that day. He was very quiet, but I could sense just the strength of the sadness inside him. And the tears were, were in his eyes the entire time we were there. And my mother, Actually, both my mother and my father, I feel, reacted very well, considering the situation. I was very proud of both of them, in the sense that I expected, I don't know what I expected, but I think that they held up quite well. I noticed my mother doing the expected thing of, of going off into stories every so often. This would remind her of a story, or that would. And they were stories I'd heard a million times before, but never the way I heard them there. Now, I paid very close attention to them at that time. I don't like to ask my parents things like that very often. I always want to know about my relatives and who they were and, and what they were and, and their stories and things like that. But it's very difficult to ask because I know that there's always a good chance if I ask that that night I'll hear them pacing the floor because they've had nightmares from discussing it. Not to say that I'm completely immune from that myself. There have been many times where, you know, I'll wake up all disoriented because I thought I was with my grandparents or my aunt or something like that will hit me. You know, that gets different as you get older and you just learn to understand and accept that that's not the case. But when you're a little kid, it's very confusing sometimes. Do you feel that all these things that you've lived through and that you've seen from your parents have 
affected the path of your life? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind. First of all, I've always felt very strongly about this country and the system of government here and the rights that people have here. Um, I, I will say a million times that I'd much rather see 20 guilty people walk the streets than one innocent person go to prison because I always have this terrible deep down fear of who the innocent people will be that go to prison. Because maybe if things hadn't been kept a secret in, in 40 years back in Nazi Germany, maybe if Hitler had had to answer to the world for exactly what he was doing, at the moment people caught him starting to do things that, that they didn't agree with or that the country didn't necessarily want done, then maybe that would have been stopped at a much earlier stage. Do you have any message for the younger generation growing up today from what do you know has happened in the world? Well, in a negative sense, I'll say this. Don't kid yourselves. Don't say it was ancient history, because it wasn't. It simply wasn't ancient history. And if anyone needs to know that, go on the trip that I just took and realize it for yourselves. See the rubble that still hasn't been cleaned up. See Berlin and realize how temporary a state it truly is in. You know, be aware of the fact, don't, don't, don't make light of it as something that should be shoved away at this point. On a positive aspect, I'll say, think about what I'm saying as far as being aware of where you are, being aware of people's rights. Be aware of everyone around you and their right to, to do what they want to do and be free in it. Never ever allow anyone to get away with stereotyping anyone. Make sure that they give everyone that free chance, that same chance. Because I really believe, with all my heart, that it could happen again. And that it's very possible. But I know myself, I won't let it happen around me. You must not say that you now walk the final way. Because the darkened heavens hide the blue of day. The time we've longed for will at last draw near. And our steps as drums will sound that we are here. From land all green with palms to lands all white with snow. We now arrive with all our pain and all our woe. Where our blood sprayed out and came to touch the land. There our courage and our faith will rise and stand. 